This is the Educational Triage Podcast. This week's special guest is Jennifer Achari. And Jennifer is the Deputy Principal of an Alternative Education School in Perth, Western Australia. She has a background of diverse educational experience, having taught students from all age groups, primarily teaching students from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds and those within an alternative education setting. Jennifer has a strong desire to help students with complex trauma backgrounds with a specific passion for trauma-informed alternative education. She is currently pursuing a PhD in this field through Queensland University of Technology under Dr. Judith Howard. In addition to researching trauma-informed practices in alternative education, she also writes about this topic for peer-reviewed journals and speaks at national and international conferences. Jennifer is also a sessional academic who lectures university students enrolled in teaching programs specializing in behavior and well-being for trauma-aware education. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration describes individual trauma as resulting from an event, series of events, or a set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning in mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. And welcome back to Educational Triage. And this week, once again, we are honored with the presence of the fantastic Jennifer Achari. Hey, Jennifer. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. Oh, definitely. I mean, you are a wealth of knowledge and you are working on your doctorate in alternative education and trauma. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Trauma-informed alternative education. Yes. There we go. Which is really probably something that's incredibly in-depth and, and much needed. Yes, it's definitely needed. Trauma-informed practice within alternative education is very important. Yes. Excellent. And then tell me, in working with alternative education, because today we're going to address strategies in the alternative classroom, or maybe somebody can adapt this for a mainstream classroom as well, but how would one go about creating an environment of psychological safety for the students, for their peers, and for themselves? or anyone else who enters so that it's, it is a safe space mm. for all who dare enter. Yeah, I think the most important thing for psychological safety and safety in general is just having very clear boundaries and expectations. So everybody knows what's expected when they come into the center and they can just stick with that. So yes, it's like a set of rules or policies or whatever you want to call it, but they can be different than mainstream and they can be more adaptable, but everybody has to be clear on what the expectation is. Expectation of respect, you respect each other, expectation that it is a safe space. So if you're heightened and you're having a moment where you might be angry, you can freely walk out of the classroom and go to a chill out zone or maybe go for a walk in the courtyard or something like that because you being in that angry space is making other people feel psychologically unsafe. And so it's just having that understanding that your emotions affect other people, their emotions will trigger you, and it will just become 
this whole thing. So you just have to be very self-aware in that and understand that. So it's having those clear expectations and the clear boundaries for students um, and for staff as well, so that they know what to be doing within the class. Um, and everyone has to kind of be on the same page with that. So all the staff are on the same page, all the students are on the same page of what we do um, to make it a safe environment. And that will look different for different places because my school is a little bit smaller than at the bigger schools, they're, they're slightly bigger. And so the places that our students can go to be, um, if they're having a moment, are going to be different than in a bigger space or how that's going to look is a bit different according to the staff to student ratio and things like that. Is there room in there for negotiation by the students and the staff? A hundred percent. So the students have to be on board with um, the, the boundaries and the expectations. So I think it's good to have a set of class rules um, and for them to be a part of that. So within the classroom, there can be a set of expectations and, and boundaries. And then within the school itself, there's going to have to be a set of expectations as, as well. And then the staff definitely have to be on board with that because the staff aren't involved in creating um, the policies and, and the boundaries, then they're not going to have buy-in, you know, and if they don't have buy-in, then the students can tell that the staff don't even agree with this. So why are we doing it? And then it just becomes this big um, confusing mess, I suppose. How much input do the students have in creating those expectations those boundaries and those rules. Do you allow them to participate in some form in order to help create those? Yes, yeah, definitely at the beginning of the year. So what have you done? Okay. In the that yeah, at the beginning of the year, I sit the students down and I say, okay, let's create the what are the mm -hmm. rules this year? Yeah, yeah. And then we go through and then we do and then we work for clarity on each one of them. Yeah. So everybody knows what's going on. And I also tell them, remember, this is not just for me to reinforce. This is also for you to reinforce yes, exactly. with each other because I'm only one person. You have each other That's and there's right. a lot more power when it's yes. peer to peer. Exactly. That's definitely true. The peer to peer support is really important so that they're holding each other accountable. And it will look different for different classrooms as well, because some mm -hmm. classrooms on my campus, there's two classrooms that are a bit smaller and two classrooms that are quite big. So the two classrooms that are smaller, if a student needs a moment to step away from the work that they're doing, they actually have to physically leave the classroom because if they're in the class, it's going to be disruptive. Whereas in the bigger classrooms, they actually have a bit of a side space where they can kind of go around the corner, sit on like the couch or the bean bags and have like a chill out in that area sometimes. Um, and so, and then it's just also knowing um, as for me, the deputy principal, when you're placing students in a classroom, which classroom is most suitable for that type of student? Do you know what I mean? So if, right. if I'm putting like students who need to move around a lot in a really small classroom, that's not going to be suitable, you know? And so you're going to have to have those strategies as well. So how is that going to work? How is that going to look? And making sure that different students, um, you kind of group them accordingly as well within their own, within their classroom so that they can kind of um, help each other and, and not um, like help each other with their social emotional regulation strategies as well. And because I think that peer support is, is really important and creating what they think needs to happen in the classroom. So they'll all have the set of rules where, you know, maybe at, so if class starts at nine o'clock, they'll say, okay, well at 9.30, we're gonna have a five minute break, you know, but we have to stay in the classroom, but you can have a movement break, a brain break. You can like do some mindful coloring or just get up and stretch or do some yoga or whatever. Like that might be their classroom, but another classroom might say, no, we don't, we don't want a break. We just want to keep going. 
right up until recess. Like it, it just depends on on the student and on the teacher and on the whole class dynamic. Because I find that um, in alternative education, you get students come in and out quite a bit. And so the dynamics change. And so you're going to have to kind of um, work with the cohort that you have at, at a different time, because you might have a lot of students in your class at one time that have um, higher needs. Um, you might like higher needs in, in like physical needs, like they might need to move around a bit more. And then you might have students, you know, in six months later that, that, that are just quieter and want more calming strategies in that way. Okay, so here's another question. And that is, how imperative is it that each classroom is dressed in a specific way in order to accommodate the students. In other words, mm. the way that it's set up, do you have certain kinds of furniture that are there? Do you have certain things that are yeah. somewhere so that your students, it's not a typical classroom, let me put it that way. Yeah, it's not a typical classroom. I mean, when you look at a traditional or mainstream setting, you're gonna have desks in rows and it's gonna be set up in a certain way. But um, in our school, we kind of have different sections where there's groups of desks together and then other ones where they're kind of individual along the wall for students who don't want to necessarily be in a group setting. And then we have some bean bags on the side, maybe a couch, um, you know, different stations for, for fidget toys, for some mindful coloring, um, for different things like that. So different students um, can have access to what they need at any given time. So sometimes we get students who come into the program and um, they're entirely mute. They don't talk at all. And so they choose to sit in the corner of a classroom when they first come in, don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to look at anybody. They're really anxious and they kind of just stay there. And then as the time progresses, they start to open up, they start to be involved in a group activity, just be like, hey, do you want to come play Uno with us? Or a card game, do you want to come play a card game? And mm -hmm. during the, the game's time, then they'll come out and they'll be okay. And then they might just sit there and watch the card game. And then eventually they'll start playing and then eventually they might they might say a word or two and then they start opening up. And so I love um, seeing that with, with different students when they come in and, and they have um, this, th their whole personality kind of changes and it just explodes in these programs. And that's you, when you know that you are actually doing a really great job is because students' lives are transformed and that's, and that's mm -hmm. great. So the whole classroom has to look different. It can't look like a traditional classroom. It has to be um, different. And it, it really will depend on on what your program is trying to offer, I suppose. Alternative education is so different. Every different center is quite different with, with their mm -hmm. expectations, with what they want to offer. So that's what I find is that the, there's just every, everyone is so different. So I think it's just having to work with what, what your center is offering the students, really. So from what you're telling me, maybe you have different sections of your classroom broken up. Yeah. The classroom is broken up into different sections that can be used, but it's also very versatile. It's very versatile, yeah. And it is it is broken up into different sections for different students because the main thing that we understand in alternative education is not every student is not the same. So when you go into a mainstream setting, it's just, no, everyone's the same. You're doing the same work on the same page. We're all doing the same lesson and we're scaffolding the learning in the same way and that's just and if you don't keep up then you don't keep up and that's and that's on you the individual whereas mm -hmm. when you come into alternative education every student is on an individual program that's how it works here in australia every student has their individual program they're working at their own personal pace and they're doing their personal best which will look different for some students some students will maybe get through 10 pages of 
of a, of a booklet in a day where other students might get through half a page and that's their personal best and that's just where they're at and that's fine and we have to accept that um what what they put forward is what they can put forward and we accept that and we're happy with that and that's part of building those positive relationships as well is that you're accepting them for who they are where they're at in life and we're fully accepting of that perfect so what is when a person is working with children in a trauma-aware setting, mm -hmm. what is their sphere of influence? In other words, just how impactful can one actually be mm. with that student and their trauma when we know statistically that student outcomes are for the school, the school has a 1% to 14% impact on student outcomes and the other 86 to 99% are ex are external from the school. Yeah. So how can one feel as though they are helping with those students without burning out yeah, or I think feeling I'm, like a hamster on a reel? Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I think it is hard when you look at statistics and you say, oh, but we're just one small portion of their entire lives, you know, and, and a lot of it is external influences. But if you look at recent research in relational pedagogy so working from a relational pedagogy so everything is about relationship so when you go back to attachment theory in trauma attachment theory is having that secure base as a child as a young child as an infant so students who did not get that secure base as a child with their parents or with their caregiver then they have the opportunity in school and so a teacher has the opportunity to then be that secure base a teacher a youth worker it can be any staff member the education assistant it can be someone at that school who can be that secure base. So when that student comes to school and they see that one person, they're saying, yep, I know that that person is here to support me, is here to care about me, I feel cared for, and they know that. And so we have the power to change lives because it's in relationships. Relationships are absolutely everything. We know that students change when we have a relationship with them. And when we're focused on building that relationship and we're not, <clears throat> we're not going to them saying, do you know, you have to do the work. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. It's about do, 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 do. It's not about doing. It's about being. And when you're saying, I am this person and you are this person and together we're connecting, that is what they really need. I love that. I, mm -hmm. I love that about being. <laughs> yeah. And I was and Because how do we create relationships with students? I know I have my way of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but how do we do how do we build a relationship with students who are seemingly unable or unwilling to participate in that process? Or they just seem to be the kind that push you away all the yeah. time. Yeah. And we're going to get that. That's, that's who comes to alternative education. The students mm -hmm. that come are the students who are saying, I don't want to be here or I don't want to, I can't be in a relationship in any way they might they might be like i said before they might be mute they might be really angry and aggressive and so they put up this this wall and they say nope i'm i'm just i don't connect with people and what we have to do as teachers and as and as staff members in alternative education is just be okay with that be okay with the fact that they don't want to borrow us when they first come and we say that's okay welcome and we have a smiling face and we are consistent with who we are we know that our our being and our, our view of ourselves isn't determined by that student's view. So if that student comes in every day and they're gonna say, 
students call me cuss words sometimes. You know, they're going to swear at me. They're going to say, you know, Jen, blah, blah, blah. They get really angry. And they say certain things. And I just look at them. And I remember looking at a student. She came in and she said, Jen, you're a beeping beep. And I said, I just kind of looked back and I just smiled. And she was like, why are you smiling at me? And I was like, because I just like you so much. And she was just so shocked. She was so, so shocked that she's in here in my office just swearing at me and I'm smiling <laughs> back at her because, because her words and the way that she was to me wasn't, wasn't affecting my view of myself. And I wasn't taking it personally. I wasn't taking it personally. You're angry. Your anger has absolutely nothing to do with me. My being is not affected with that angry, um, outburst but but that's mm-hmm. the thing i think a lot of times that people if you're going to get heightened and triggered by students and and they're going to swear you're going to be like oh my goodness i can't even believe that a student would do that and then you get heightened and you kick them out you say get out of my classroom and then you get angry they get angry you get angry and you go into this big spiral that's the problem the main thing is keeping your cool saying you know what you don't you don't affect my my view of myself i know that I'm here because I have my why, I have the reason why I'm here, I have my personal views on myself, and your unwillingness to talk to me or your willingness to swear at me has nothing to do with me, and I'm here when you're ready to be my friend and to engage in a relationship, and that's the main thing, is just being willing to accept them with who they are. If you're going to have an outburst, okay. If you're going to be mute, that's okay. That's okay, because that's where, where you're at right now, and it's just trying to get them to build those relationships and, and to know that you're not taking things personally. Main thing is don't take things personally and just be there for them when they're ready. Cause they will be ready at some point. You just got to wait for them to be ready. And they're waiting for that slap in the face back because yeah. that's what they're so used to. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. They're definitely you waiting for you to, to yell at them. them. No, no, you can't. You can't. They're always, they know how to trigger teachers. They've done it before many mm-hmm. times in, in, in their other schools. They would have triggered teachers. They would have swore to a teacher and a teacher would have been like, you're kicked out, get out of my class and you'll get suspended or whatever. That's what they're mm-hmm. waiting for. But when you have a different approach and when you just smile and say, okay, today's not your day. That's cool. You know, you might be like, Hey, do you want to do this math worksheet? No, F you, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Today's not your day. Let me know when you're ready. And you just kind of have that approach and they kind of just are so shocked and the shock of it will eventually wear off and they'll eventually, you know, come Mm -hmm. and and play ball with you. And that's just, that's just been my experience is they'll always play ball when you're there and you don't get fussed by their emotional outbursts. They'll, they'll be willing, they'll be willing and they'll, they'll know that it's different. And that's the main thing is they're coming in thinking, is this place going to be different? And yes, we are. Yes, we are different. I did have a student who went off on me one day mm-hmm. because I was asking him a couple of questions and all of a sudden he just lost it and he went screaming. He dropped the F-bomb at me, mm-hmm. started calling me all kinds of names and he was leaning across the table and he was in my face and he stopped when he was done and he said, so what have you got to say to that? And I just took a deep breath and I looked at him and I smiled and I said, I want to thank you. He said, what? (laughs) I said, thank you. And this other kid was watching and he's like, are you nuts? And I said, no. I said, I just want to thank you for feeling safe enough Mm. to be able to do that with at me Mm. with knowing that I'm not going to come after you. Yeah. I said, I'm really honored that you did that with me. And so within five minutes, we were having a wonderful conversation. 
we had a great relationship. Yeah. And um, he said that that was something that nobody had ever done. To be mm-hmm. honest, I have no idea where that came from. Yeah, but it's because it's in you. It's in your being. And that's the thing. And right. I think that the that the teachers and the educators and the staff that come to alternative education, we have this this sense of being that we actually are there to want to engage, to want to help students, mm-hmm. but also have them help us and, and grow and learn from those different experiences and, and build those relationships that are quite different. Um, yeah. Right. But, but it's also about mutual respect. It's not yeah. about you need to respect me because I yes. am this figurehead. Yes. It's I'm going to listen to you. And if you have a child, if, if you're a parent and you have a child who just goes off on you, you know that that child is hurting. Yes. And you're going to listen to them unless you're going to be the same kind of parent that many of these students have. And you're just going to turn around and you're just going to say flap. Yeah. And you're going to put them in their place, which does nobody any good. No. And it destroys any kind of relationship that you may have already. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think it's so funny because I am a parent. I have two little girls and it's just, it's so interesting as a parent to, to see other parents and, and their view on parenting and on time outs and on punishment. And, and it's just, you can't, you can't make a power struggle. Like, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. people are saying, they, they tell me, they say, oh, your, your kids are so well behaved and, um, you know, they're just so wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's because I, I don't create that power struggle with them. I don't have that. I'm the mom. You listen to me. You do what I say. Otherwise, you're in timeout. And it's just you don't you don't do that. And, and it's the same thing in the classroom. You don't create a power struggle. You don't create a hierarchy. I'm up here. I'm teacher. I'm above you. You need to listen to me because of my power. And that that's there, there's something wrong if you have that mentality there, there's no power struggle there it's a we're all here to learn from each other and we're all here to help each other and that's what we're here for right. we're here to help each other grow and even as a mother i'm here to help you grow and help you find your personality and help you in in, in everything and then and i think that's a really that's a lot more of a healthy way to to engage in relationships with children with adolescents in, in alternative education with with colleagues like you have to be on that same thing, even though I'm in a position of power because I'm the leader of my site. I don't go in being like, I'm the leader. You listen to me. This is how we're going to do it. It's no. What do we want to do? What, how do we create psychological safety? What are the what are the, the the rules and the boundaries that we're going to establish this year? What kind of activities do we want to put forward this year? How do we want to create those relationships? And we all kind of have discussion about that. It's, it's having that openness and that willingness to 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 work together and to be on the same page with everybody. And I think it's important, though, to point out that this is not where you have this huge kumbaya moment where everybody sits around and holds hands and says, "Okay, let's all focus our energy on Raphael over there who really needs us right now. I mean, there are boundaries and there are some limits, but um, it's it's the understanding that we're working together and that I'm going to mentor you and I can only mentor you so far. You have to do X amount of work. Yes. And I will take you where you are and yes. I will help propel you the best I can. Yes. And I will seek other resources when the time is necessary. Yes. But and so they see you as not being well, we get away from the sage on the stage, but we get or even the guide to the side is more like it. But it's even more than that. Yeah. It's more like you're the Jiminy Cricket. You are the blue fairy. You mm. are everything. 
that's going to help that kid get through school. And as some of my students put it, it was like this weird force suddenly took over and helped them get through when they thought it was absolutely impossible. Mm. That's right. And they said, I don't know what she did. And I said, I didn't do anything. Mm. I think it's important for them to have the why as well. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. You can be the guide on the side. You can help them if they want to help themselves. If they don't want to help themselves, if they don't want to be in the program, if they don't want to engage in education, there's nothing that we can do about it. And so that's always the question that we have with students, even students who want to be, there's some students, we help students transition out of the program. If they would rather be working, we will help them get a job. We will help Mm -hmm. you transition into that. We're not going to force you to stay here doing schoolwork if that's not what you want to do. Once you hit 15, 16 in Australia, you can, you can transition into full-time work and that's fine. We can help you do that. And so we can help students engage in that and help them build those, those capacities for that. Or if they're not ready, they say, oh, I'm not ready to go to work, then we can transition them into a construction program, into a hair and beauty program, into another program that we don't necessarily offer, but we have the, the community um, relationships to help you transition into those different programs. And so mm-hmm. I think that's important as well is them knowing what they're there for. Cause if they, if they don't want to be there, they don't want to be there. And so we'll help them um, do something else. And that I think that them knowing that we will help them with their goals and their desires is what they need as well. Right. Now, let me ask you, let's say yeah. that a kid just can't make it in your program. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just not the right time for them. And then they have second thoughts and then they reconsider mm-hmm. and they say, no, this is what I really need to do. Mm-hmm. How prone is your program to giving second and third chances? Yeah, I mean, we'll give second and third chances for sure. Because we have students, sometimes we transition them into work and then mm-hmm. that doesn't work out for them. And then so they come back and then we're like, okay, welcome back. You're back here. <laughs> and then they'll try and do it again. And then, you know, a lot of times it won't work out again. And then they'll go back into trying to do something else and they keep coming back and forth. And that's the thing. It's having that place. Yes, you can always come back to us, but we know that that you don't necessarily want to be here. You're not trying your hardest. You're not even you don't really care about the education. You don't care about uh, engaging in peer relationships. You don't want, there's nothing that you really want from us. So we try to keep, you know, transitioning them out and then they'll come back and transition them out. And so it's just, it's having that back and forth for a little bit, but it's trying to help them and knowing that we're going to try and help you do what's right for you and, and what's best for you and what you want to be doing. And so but they also have that. El- yeah. They mm-hmm. also have that element of safety of knowing yes. that you're there to catch them. We're always here to catch them. And sometimes, and this is the thing, because even when we look at, you know, we might talk later about about what do we do when when students, um, detention, expulsion, suspension, like all those types of things, where there's always going to be options for them at our school in one way or another, in Mm -hmm. one way or another, you know, it might just be coming for an hour a day after school, doing some work to finish the program. And if that's what's going to work, that's what's going to work, because we want to help them in the way that they can be helped. And if, mm-hmm. the, if it's not during the school hours, it won't be during school hours, it'll be after hours, it'll be different times. And so that's the commitment that, that my school has to these students, but every school program will be a little bit different with how they um, go about helping it and, and what, their, what their willingness to help is, is going to be as well. Okay, wow. <sighs> Big transition now. <laughs> So what are the three main focus points of trauma-aware education? So trauma-aware education, number one is safety. 
So it has to be a safe environment for students, psychologically, physically, um, all of that stuff has to be safe. There has to be relationships. You have to, the focus has to be on relationships, building relationships, building the capacity to build relationships. And then emotional regulation. So helping students emotionally regulate um, through things like co-regulation and just teaching um, emotionally, emotional regulation skills um, through social emotional learning programs or things like that. So let's start with the last one first, mm -hmm. emotional regulation. Yeah. How do you, how do you work on that? How do you yeah. do that when you have, even if you have 12 kids in your room, mm -hmm. 12 students, 12 bodies, how do you work on emotional regulation with those students? I mean, do you work on breathing? Are you doing social emotional learning? What mm -hmm. are you doing? Yeah. So all of that can be part of it. I think the first thing is co-regulation. So again, going back to um, attachment into early childhood stuff is co-regulating. Children need co-regulation. So co-regulation means a supportive adult that has regulated emotions themselves. So if you are an angry adult and you're always heightened, that's going to make them a heightened child as well. And so you need to make sure that you're regulated, you're calm. And if you want them to be calm, you're calm. And so your, your emotions will then go onto their emotions. And so it's just always having that, that, that consistency as the adult, that's the number one thing. And that, I think that that's something that people don't realize. We're just gonna teach them how to be calm, but I'm gonna be heightened and I'm gonna be loud and I'm gonna be really anxious in the class. And that, no, that doesn't work. You, if you wanna teach them how to be calm, you have to be calm. If you wanna teach them how to be happy, you need to be happy. You need to show them, it's modeling. It's modeling behavior, it's, it's showing that type of thing. So the first thing is modeling your own behavior and co-regulating. So if they're getting angry and they're getting heightened, you're calm and you're like, okay, I, I see that you're angry. Let's, you know, let's try some breathing exercises. That might be for them. Some people might like the breathing exercises. Some people will say, I need to move. I need to get out and go for a walk, you know? So breathing isn't going to help them. So trying to force them to breathe when they're angry is going to make them more angry. So we don't necessarily do that. We'll have to learn and they'll have to learn. The main thing with social emotional learning is what helps you in your moment. In your moment of need, if you're anxious, what do you need? If you're angry, what do you need? And it might look like two different things. Some people might to go to the go to the bathroom, splash some cold water on their face to you know snap out of it. Some people might need to go for a walk. Some people might need to go listen to some music. For them, it's going to look different. And so it's teaching students that their emotions are valid and real, and how to control and they're controllable because a lot of people don't even believe that emotions are controllable. I just have these emotions but I don't know what to do with them and they're just there and blah. Well, no, you can actually control your emotions and you can actually work through them. Yes, I'm having this moment. Yes, I'm really angry right now. And I acknowledge that I'm angry. What are my strategies to move forward? And so it's teaching different strategies. Yes, it can be breathing. Yes, it can be going for a walk. It can be going to the bathroom. It can be doing a variety of different things. And so it's, it's learning that. And it's learning all different emotions. There's a whole range of emotions. So it's it's showing students the range of emotions and where they, they can, they fit on that scale. And so if they're having a moment and if they're having an outburst, it's what are you feeling right now? Okay. I'm angry. So if you look at, there's a whole wheel, there's actually a wheel of emotions. So anger can, can actually be from being sad, being depressed, being upset, being frustrated. There's a lot of different, different ways that anger is coming out as anger, but where is it stemming from? And so if you go back to the stem of that emotion and teaching them to go to the stem of the emotion, how did we get to anger? 
where did that come from? It came from being frustrated with that math worksheet. Oh, okay. Why were you frustrated with that math, math worksheet? Because I can't do it. Okay, well, well, why why can't you do it? Is it is it? Do you need a different math worksheet? Do you need to be working at a different level? Do you need help when you're working in, on math? Does math just frustrate you because you're triggered from a trauma thing that happened when you were in year three? I don't know, but it's it's going to the base root of where is this emotion coming from? It's okay that you have this emotion, but where is it coming from? Why is it there? And what are the emotional strategies and the strategies we're going to put in place so that when this pops up again, we know what we can do. We know that you're going to get triggered by math. So what are we going to do? Does that make sense? It does. Hmm. In other words, to paraphrase, we need to have, we need to pull out of our bag of tricks in a sense hmm. and approach when a student is demonstrating, let's say, anger, let's say that they're frustration, whatever it is, huh. we need to be able to approach that and be able to quantify and qualify what's going on with them yeah. in the moment with what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Because it may actually, too, be coming from something that happened five hours previously. Correct. That's exactly so, right. So we need to be able to, because they've been stewing on it all day, and then all of a sudden, this is the one little, this is the straw that mm -hmm. broke the camel's back, and there it is. So yeah. we need to be able to get there. And if you don't have the relationship, number two, mm. they're not going to want to be honest with you. Yeah. So exactly they're right. they're going to, they're, they, they feel as though they need to trust you. I'm going to throw in a little thing here. I met with a student recently who graduated several years ago and he called me and he said, I need to meet with you. And I said, what's going on? He said, my, my significant other said, I need to talk to you because I taught both of them because mm -hmm. I need to figure some stuff out in my life. And I said, okay, fine. So we were talking and I said, okay, here's what I'm willing to do for you. I'm going to buy you this thing. And he said, absolutely not. And I said, why not? I'm trying to give you a hand up. Hmm. And he said, what do you want in return? And I said, why do you ask that? And he said, because everybody in my life has always attached strings. So I don't know who I can trust. Yeah. And so I said, okay, fine. I said, so let's work through this. And we had a great talk. But it was interesting that somebody who was willing to call me and talk to me and have lunch with me and discuss all these things in his life that he needed to have help with. But then when I offer some physical help, kind of like it never really stopped and part of him has been stunted. But I think you touched on a really important point is that trust is really important. And, and you said, oh, but you trust me. And he said, yeah, I do. But... You still have those, the, the, you know, your, your back is still up against the wall and saying, I don't know, can I really trust you? Can I really trust mm -hmm. you? They're always going to have that, um, you know, that that's part of trauma, their trauma responses. Can I trust you? Because even the people that, that love me, even mom and dad who may have loved me, they've broken my trust time and time and time and time again, you know? And so as, as right. educators and as staff members in alternative education, it's always going to be difficult to build that trust because they're always going to think there's strings attached or, or there's something, or you're going to, you're going to break the trust at some point. And, and we need to, we need to just be okay with that. We're going to have, we just have to keep showing them consistency. Consistency is the key showing them. No, there's no strings attached. Yep. I'm still here. Yep. I'm, I'm always going to be here. That's just how it is. Um, 
and and just eventually they'll they'll put their guard down and they'll say oh okay i i can actually trust people and that's such a big valuable lesson for them to learn is that there are people in the world that you can actually trust right and i think the important part too is what we said earlier was you take them where they are yeah yeah and even as adults you yeah. have to do the same thing because yeah. just because they graduated from high school and just because they've moved on in life with life doesn't mean that the trauma has gone away no no transforming trauma is a really difficult thing it it takes years it takes years mm -hmm. and we're we're just a small part of that in alternative education in the adolescent period we are part of their adolescent journey of, of but a part of that adolescent journey is if you look at um developmental psychology it's part of building peer relationships so they're they're kind of trying to figure out who they are in a group setting that's that then their individual personality comes out between the ages of 18 and 25 and we're not usually um privy to that because they're already moved on by that mm -hmm. point but we're in that group setting we're in that peer setting we're in that where do i fit in the group dynamic in 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 society in something like that right and so you're we're kind of there to, to help them fit into that to that stage and we have to be okay with that we're we're here for this time we can help them learn these valuable lessons for this time and this is just a period of their life and they're going to have to continue but it's teaching them how to get the help when they leave the program where do you go for help when you leave us where mm -hmm. is there what are your options moving forward and teaching them those life skills and those life lessons so that as they become adults letting them know that you're still going to have to work through stuff you're still going to have to go through this you're still going to have to individually figure out your your emotions and regulate and, and this that and everything and give them those those types of strategies that can continue even outside of the walls of the alternative school that we're at now he said something very interesting and he said i don't know why i'm stuck in the rut that i'm stuck in and he kept talking to me and i said because you're still in a fixed mindset and you are mm. still in at you're still looking at life as a victim. Yeah. I, and I said, so you're going to start doing these exercises because I need you to start developing a growth mindset. Yeah. And so I gave him some exercises to work on. And he said, what's all that going to do for me? He said, mm. how's that going to change my life? I said, it's going to change your outlook and it's going to help you start pruning the things that you need to prune in your life to see what's important and what's not, and to be able to easily let go of, of what is not relevant that you think still is. Mm. And so when we left, he had some exercises that he had to do, but he still, I said, I need you to quit being a victim because yeah. you're far too intelligent. I said, you could go places. Mm. I said, I said, your significant other can go places. You're both very smart people. You have so much to be thankful for. So let's move forward. So the next question is, how do we mentor students so that they, can we get them out of a victim mentality or can we just show them the way and maybe try to push them and let them because they're going to have to move themselves. They have to move themselves. And I think that that's the most important thing. And I think teaching them, like you said, you said two important words, you said growth mindset and fixed mindset. And those are the social emotional learning skills that, that we learn. We're either in a growth mm -hmm. mindset or in a fixed mindset. Fixed mindset is that victim mentality where I'm stuck here. My trauma is this. 
this, that, and the other thing. And there's growth mindset. I went to the doctor the other day, who's also does some psychology related stuff. Um, and she's really interesting because I, I go to just get my general checkup once a year and we have really great conversations. And she said, you know, when people come to me for therapy, she said they come and because she does these, these therapies, she does this alternative therapy. She, she's, I, I see a doctor that does alternative therapies as well, but I see her just for my, my normal checkups. But she's telling me about, about these people. She said, people come to me for therapy, but they get in this fixed mindset, which she's talking about. And so they just keep wanting to come and, and have the doctor or the psychologist or whoever just fix everything. But that's not how it works. They have to actually want to fix it themselves. They have to actually be able and willing in that time. She said, but people just want to focus on the trauma because she was interested in my PhD. We're talking about trauma. And she said, people just want to get in a cycle of this is my trauma. This is why I do the things that I do. Uh, they just want an excuse of why they're doing the things that they do in that cycle, but they don't actually want to break that cycle and move forward. She said, very rarely do people actually want to break the cycle and move forward. And something that, that we have to understand is that sometimes when they come to us, they're not ready to break the cycle. They're still quite young. They're not necessarily ready to break that cycle, but we are teaching them valuable life lessons that they're going to look back on. You know, maybe when they're 25, maybe when they're 30, they're going to say, I remember learning this, that, and the other thing. And I remember that person who said this to me, and they'll always remember that thing. And it might not be that they're changing so much right now in the moment. We can see little changes. We can see those changes. Are they going to all of a sudden get away from the victim mindset and be like, wow, I'm a brand new person. I'm a 16-year-old who's just changed my life. No, not usually. They're too wrapped up in their own little <laughs> world of crazy drama of what boy likes me and, and what's going on with that person who said what to who and what's on social media and all that kind of stuff. They're involved in that stuff. But we know that the lessons that we're teaching them, that they will always have it within them and that they can go back to. That's the main thing. It's, it's just teaching those strategies, hopefully, that they will go back to those things and eventually get out of it. And so even that conversation that you with, you had with this student is that he's going to be like, mm, I am smarter than this. I can break the cycle. I have to get out of this, this fixed mindset. And it's just knowing that. And when they're ready and when things align, it will happen for them. But we have to know that we are there to kind of teach them, to help them, to guide them. And they have to be the ones to pull them out. They have to change their perception. If you mm -hmm. change your perception, you change your life. Positive psychology, it just goes back to positive psychology. Changing your perception changes your life. If you're positive and you teach your mind to be positive, you can get out of a lot of things, a lot of poverty mindset, a lot of those fixed, fixed mentalities. You can, you can go and become and get into a growth mindset. You just have to be in that positive mindset. But we have to teach them. We can't force them to do that. They have to want to do it themselves. Oh, I hate to do this. I mean, we had such a good thing going, but this conversation went on for quite a bit longer and I know time is valuable. So I'm going to cut it off there. But the things that you need to remember before coming into next week's show which will, where we finish off this conversation is that we have to take people where they are and accept them. We can't always understand the trauma or the reasons why people do things. We just have to accept them and then maybe work with them from that point. Because once we accept that we're taking people from where they are, then we can start to move forward because trauma as insidious as it is, it, it affects everybody in different ways. And 
if you also participated in the last conversation that we had with Jen, where she talked about the brain and trauma and the plasticity, then we start to understand more. So thank you for joining us this week. We hope to see you back next week for more Jennifer and more strategies in the trauma-informed classroom. May you have a peaceful week. May you do well. And always remember, there's always room to grow.